Hey, hey, welcome back to the 40 Pep Podcast, where we bring leadership experience straight to your ears. I'm your host, Nolan Beck, and today I have an interview with a magnificent lady in Domino's. She started out in Australia, has been in the UK, and is now based here in the United States. Her name is Carrie Heyman, and we spent about a good hour talking about leadership, which is probably one of her favorite subjects, um, talking about kangaroos, um, but we, we have a real good treat for you this week. Um, but f- before we get to that, uh, I wanted to do some five-star shout-outs. Um, these are stores in our company that just received a five-star, so I wanted to give them credit where credit is due. So in Arizona, we have Harmony Cook and her team at store 7633. Congratulations, guys. Uh, in California, we have store 7734, Poliana Tautsi and her team. And and I do apologize. I hope I get these names correct. I'm probably going to butcher them all, but I do apologize if I get them incorrect. Um, congratulations, guys. Uh, store 7921, Rakesh Pathula. Hope I got that right. Congratulations, team. Well-deserved. Store number 8241, Toen Lu and team. Congratulations, guys. And last, uh, store 8566, Gabriel Bertazzi. And again, I do apologize if I butchered any of your names, but thank you so much to you and your teams. Uh, You guys are rocking it. You're setting the standard for the new operations assessment, and we we love what we're seeing. So congratulations. Round of applause. (laughs) Woo! All right, and for our next segment, uh, I brought back again Rocco. Um, people are loving him; they they're digging him. So he's got another segment of what annoys me. Um, so, without further ado, Rocco with what annoys me. Hey, how you doing? It's Rocco here. Yeah, you remember me. Well. They asked me to come back on again to do another segment of what annoys me. And I tell you what, what annoys me is people complaining about the call center. You know, when I first started, we had eight toppings and nothing but phones ringing off the hook. And on top of that, we had phone cords that would literally wrap around our necks and choke us almost to death. And now, you don't even have to answer your phones. You don't have to take the phone orders because you got somebody doing it for you. What do you do with all the time? I mean, I could have my store completely spotless with the amount of time I have for some of these people. Or maybe I'll just save a little bit on labor. I mean, heck, the only time I have to answer the phone is when a customer's not happy. And then I don't want somebody else answering it. That's gonna be my job to fix that problem. So stop, stop complaining about the call center. It's a help. It's there to help you. It's not gonna be perfect. Do you think I'm perfect? Only I think I'm perfect. But it's a blessing. Realize what it could be like. Realize where we're going. So yeah, 
Enjoy and embrace. The change is coming. There'll be more, and it won't stop. Quit complaining about the call center. So, that's my segment of What Annoys Me. Have a good week. Hey, hey, welcome back, everyone. This is Nolan Beck with the 40 Pep Podcast. Today, I have a wonderful interview with Carrie Heyman, correct? Is it Heyman? Yeah, Carrie Heyman. All right. Um, some of you may have heard of her before. Um, she's been with Domino's, what was it, 30? A really long time, yeah. I Since 1988, so I'm just about to celebrate my anniversary, the week of the Vegas rally, actually. Oh, fantastic. And yeah. and if, if you guys hear an accent, uh, she originally started her franchise in Australia, correct? Yes, I'm from the very, very deep south. <laughs> <laughs> How is it in Australia? Is it what, what kind of climate is, is it in Australia? Very similar to Charleston, actually. Um, where I'm from, they say beautiful one day, perfect the next, because uh, it's just always great weather. It's the warmest part of Australia. Not that Australia is all that cold, but... <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of how Arizona is. They're everywhere in, in America, it will drop down to, you know, like 20, 30 degrees in, in the wintertime, and we're still at 60 degrees, so... Yeah, so we I get definitely... about 10 months of summer um, in Charleston, and it's pretty similar where I'm from, too. We never see snow where I'm from. Oh, awesome, awesome. Do you see kangaroos a lot? Uh, well, not really in the <laughs> cities, but, you know, when you drive in sort of the country roads and stuff, yeah, absolutely, they're everywhere. You gotta be careful not to hit one because they can make a mess of your car. Yeah, I've, I've heard kind of like deer out here, probably, right? Yeah, like hitting a cow or a deer, for yeah. sure, yeah. yeah. Well, um, so I, I, the reason I asked you to do an interview um, is I interviewed uh, uh, Phil McManus uh, a couple weeks ago. And he recommended me to interview you um, for a couple reasons. One, your experience with Domino's. Two, uh, you're just a fantastic leader in the company. And three, that uh, you're a female and you have uh, made an impact in this company. And um, that's kind of something that, you know, I think that Domino's kind of takes a lot of pride in is, you know, you can be anybody and still make a success out of it, right? And, yeah, and I'm sure there's, you know, other struggles that females deal with that, you know, the male counterpart doesn't have to deal with. So um, those right. were the reasons why I reached out to you. And thank you for, for meeting with me today. Um, so I, I, let's just start off with kind of like your, your domino story, like how you decided to start working for Domino's and kind of what got you to where you're at today. Sure. Um so that, it was never my plan, actually, to start with Domino's. I, my first job when I turned 14 was actually at a bakery. And um, I, my job was to slice the bread early on Saturday morning. And it was a very busy bakery, so we were slicing hundreds of loaves of bread. And I'm not sure if you know, but when you slice bread, you can't pull it through the slicer any faster than what it's going to go at because you actually rip the bread. bread. Yeah. So you have to be really great at bagging it up putting the twisty thing on the top, you know, and you had to have it all ready by a certain time. And right out of the gate, I just seemed to have this urgency about me where I was just the fast person that did all the bread. And mm -hmm. I loved my job. Um, still today, I can't eat bread that's longer than a day old. Um, <laughs> although the plastic bread in America kind of lasts longer than probably what <laughs> right. chemicals are in there. I know. <laughs> um, but I, my brother actually... Um, 
had joined uh, the company, which was Silvio's back in the day, and we actually bought out Domino's, and then we ended up converting to Domino's back in 96. Okay. And I was a franchisee at the time, and we converted to Domino's. Um, but that's a whole other story about the success of Domino's in Australia. But he was needing team members. Sounds familiar to all the GMs out there. You mm-hmm. reach out to everyone and anyone who has a pulse. Right, <laughs> right. Your family. It's right. Like, Come and work for me. And I was like, well, you know, I don't really want to work for my brother, but, um, yep, yeah, I'll help out for a little while. I really like my job at the bakery. Um, but I think from that very first moment that I made my first pizza, I fell in love with the business. And, um, you know, I ended up getting to a point where I quit my bakery job and started doing a lot of hours and um, just really enjoyed the pizza business and all the challenges and excitement that, that came with it. You know, that rush, um, yeah. which has never left me, you know, still today, it's the most exciting part of what we do. It's not, not being a franchisee doing the boring stuff. It's right. when you hit the store and you see your team members smiling faces and the orders coming in and stuff. Um, and so I kind of was very fortunate that I was trained very well. I, you know, people talk about their horror stories of their first three days at work and I actually had very good training. You know, I couldn't even start my first shift without knowing every single topping on every single pizza and my brother tested me and he said, if you get a single one wrong, you can't start today. So I was like, oh my God, I've got to get this right, you know, but. Did you pass your first time? What was that? Did you pass your first time? Yeah. All right, yeah, all right. Had, like, five kinds of pizza. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> so it's a little different now. Um, but I, you know, started making pizzas. And then, you know, back then, once you turned 17 and you were able to get your license, um, you automatically had to become a driver because you were too expensive to work in the store. So I started delivering pizzas, which I loved. You know, I, I had my um, tracks set up on my CDs <laughs> and I had a. 76 Toyota Celica that I loved. It was decked out with extractors and it was like just a beastie car. And I just, I love being on the road and delivering pizzas. It was just the coolest thing to do. Right. Um, and then, you know, once I uh, turned 17, you know, I was finishing school and everyone kept asking me to be a manager. And, and I was like, that's the last thing I want to do. Those guys have no life. You know, they're at the store all the time. All the managers that I worked for just lived at the store. That's right. all they did. Right. I think one of my managers actually slept in the store, but that's a whole other story. I've, I've been there a couple of times. I... <laughs> <laughs> he never looked like he had a shower and it was just, you know, I was like, oh, that's like the last thing I'd want to do. And I actually wanted to um, take up a career in acting because that's always been my passion is, um, you know, to do movies and have, you know, be funny and do all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I went to the college interview to do that. And I'm usually pretty good at that kind of stuff. I don't really get nervous, but there was thousands of applicants to join that course and um when we were doing all of the the stuff ahead of time i actually forgot my lines i got super nervous i forgot my lines so immediately i was on the cut list yeah and i said well you know i'm going to come back in a year because you know i want to go to college my family wasn't wealthy and always struggled with money and so i always wanted to be the person who you know never had to worry about that and i thought college was my answer to that um when i didn't get into college uh, they kept asking me to be a manager and I eventually took, took on as a manager at, at age 17 and I said, I'll do this for a little while until I can reapply next year. And in my first year, I was running um, one of the busiest stores in Australia. It was super high volume back then um, and something that no one else was doing and it was difficult to do. And I don't know how many times I sat out the back of my store crying saying I was going to quit and my brother would turn up and talk me into staying. Right, right. <laughs> Thank goodness he did that. Um, <laughs> Everybody needs that person in their world because it does get tough sometimes. Um, my store burnt down one day. You know, a customer knocked on the door late at night. We were closed and it was a high-risk sort of area. 
And because um, we didn't serve him a pizza after close, he came and burnt my store down. Um, so, uh, you know, I've dealt with having a store wow. closed for months on end and keeping my whole team. I was so proud of that, that all my team came back to the store that's, when it reopened. So that's crazy. We were having crazy. barbecues in the house and all sorts of stuff. Um, so I was running one of the busiest stores in Australia at age 17, and I was making more money than my parents at age 17. And I was like, hang on a second, I'm really enjoying this, and I'm making a lot of money. Maybe there's something in this. Right. Um, and so, you know, I, I kept that position, and I kind of kept working my way through and um, eventually decided to take on a um, supervisor role and um, – you know, ran a, a group of stores as a supervisor for my brother, which he had um, 2020 Pizza back then. And then he sold his business into the corporation to become um, the CEO of Domino's Pizza Australia. Okay. And he said, hey, Kerry, we're going to go on this wild ride. Um, <laughs> you're going to double the amount of stores you're looking after, but I really want you to be a part of this. And, you know, I was there when this um, Domino's Pizza Enterprises listed on the Australian Stock Exchange. Um, when our shares were like at $2 a share and now they're something Way crazy. Up there. yeah, um, yeah. I actually sold my shares to buy my 21 Domino stores in America. That's how much those shares ended becoming wow. worth to me. Um, so I kind of went on that wild ride with Don for 22 years um, in the Australian business. And, you know, we bought other countries, France, Belgium, the Netherlands, um, I was running all the training programs. I created Pizza College a million years ago um, for Australia. And I was running all the corporate stores, which at our peak got up to 150 stores. And it was making half the total company profits for Domino's Pizza Enterprises, which wow. um, usually in um, areas where you have corporate stores, that they lose you money. Um, and right. we were actually making half of the company profits and we couldn't grow fast enough. But it started to get too successful that, you know, being a public company and my brother was the CEO, you know, the board kind of wasn't real happy that we were brother and sister and I was getting paid as much as what I was because I was on profit sharing and I kept taking on more stores, more stores, more stores. And, you know, I was running um, all of Australia at that time. Uh, and so uh, I decided that I was going to get back into uh, franchising at that point. I had been a franchisee back in the 90s as well, and I'd sold that to working with my brother. I gotcha. forgot to mention that. Um, he kind of talked me into coming into his business, and I never looked back from that. But I, I really wanted to become a franchisee again, and so I was about to buy four stores in um, my hometown, and we literally were at the end point. And then I got the opportunity to go to the UK. The operations director that had been there a long time was leaving and it was kind of a big business to run, multiple countries, and they asked me if I would do it. And my brother said, look, you can franchise any time. That's always going to be available to you. But to go and live in another country and experience all of that is huge. So yeah. go do it, you know. As your brother, I want you to do it. But as the owner, the person running DPE, it's a big loss, you right, know. But right. go share with us all you find and – um, so I went over there to work with franchisees in the UK and, and franchisees in the UK uh, are allowed to own multiple businesses. They, they aren't just allowed to own domino stores like we are. Yeah. So these are mega wealthy people who had hundreds of stores, didn't need the corporation, didn't need me. <laughs> you know, I'm over there as the operations director and it's like, well, what do you got to offer me, right? Right. So What's your value? I learned pretty quickly the way that I helped franchisees was to add value to their business. Um so I went from running corporation where everyone did as I said to franchisees who were entrepreneurial and have their own thoughts and uh, didn't really need me to try and figure out how I could add value to them. And, you know, because I had that store experience, 
I knew how to run make lines and save them time and save them money and help them with schedules. And, you know, one franchisee, I, I kept asking to meet with him and he kept saying, don't have time, don't have time. And I'm like, you just meet with me. I know I can save you a million dollars in the next year. And finally, I tied him down and I met with him and I showed him how to restructure his company into his schedules. And yeah, we, we saved him a million dollars. And time probably, right? <laughs> <laughs> so that's adding value back. You're and right. I was very proud of that. Um, and they very proud to come and tell me that they that it had actually saved them that money too and they're like what else do you want to meet with us about right. you know after that <laughs> <laughs> but i was the first um female in the leadership team uh in the uk and i was the only person in the leadership team that had store experience so that was difficult because um you know i didn't have a college degree and that's kind of frowned upon in the english culture everybody goes to college and gets a degree can, can, can um, i ask I you a question real knowledge. quick so, What's like, that? going into the UK, I'm assuming you really didn't know anybody going into that situation. Like you, Well, I knew all my friends from, you know, going to Vegas rallies and touring stores across the world and stuff. So I already had a base of people that I knew. I was already good friends with people like Parley Gruel, who's the fastest pizza maker. Okay. You know, there was a friendship there because I'd been going back and forth to the Vegas rallies. and. So you kind of networked before you had moved out there you already made those connections so so well, i didn't what, even know that that was going to eventuate at the right. time you know i was just reaching out and having fun with people because you know the aussies in vegas always go up against the english because of our cricket cricket rivalry. <laughs> so we'd always be the last people left at the bar at night <laughs> so that's how you form friendships and it just happened that i ended up working in the uk and so i already knew a lot of the franchisees when i went there so how nervous were you like giving up everything in Australia and just like, I'm going to make this career jump. That had to have been scary. Like it was huge. Yeah. I had to convince my family to move to a whole new country. Yeah. You know? uh, my, my daughter had to go to an English school and, um, but you know, from that point of view, uh, I mean, she lived a third of her life in Australia, a third of her life in the UK and then now in America. So she's a very well-rounded young lady now as a result. Yeah. Um, I never forget when we first moved to America, first day at school, they asked her about American history. <laughs> <laughs> she had no clue. But then it came to uh, the metric system. She's like, I got this. I get it right. <laughs> and all of us Everyone struggle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was in the UK for about five years. And then the hunger to become a franchisee because I was working with all these really successful, very motivating people. And I just, the hunger just wouldn't go away. I just, I'm like, I have to franchise, I have to franchise. Um, and so I went looking for stores and Australia was saturated at that time and only had one or two stores here and there. And after running such large groups of stores, I couldn't go back to running one right, store. Right. Um, and then the opportunity became available in, in America. And we went and looked at a couple of different markets, but Charleston was kind of what we fell in love with because it reminded me a lot of home. Okay. Um, and stores were doing a 13 grand AWIS at the time. And, uh, you know, we completely revolutionized the market. It was the fastest market to hit number one um, from number three player to number one player. We did it in just under two years. Okay. We closed six Pizza Hearts. We opened um, six brand new stores in the first three years. We relocated three of the stores um, and we immediately went to high volume. And now we're one of the top um, volume franchisees in the South. And our busiest store is a military store. Um that's one of the top stores in America. So. Yeah, those seem to be popular. <laughs> yeah. I used to work for a military store change. in Nebraska, so it was one yeah, of the busiest really stores. Changed the landscape of the stores that you know we had stores back then doing four thousand dollars a week that today do nearly forty grand. Um, wow! Stores that people wanted to close, 
those back in the day, you know, so, seven years ago. So, like, what was your approach in in, in transforming their I mean, you, you said you'd go in and you'd tell them how to be more efficient and, you know, how to like change their schedules to accommodate for, you know, saving money and stuff. Like, yeah. like how, what is it about you and your tactics? Like, what is your drive to, to make that happen? Like that doesn't happen yeah. in all franchises and that's probably yeah. what makes you so special. Like, what is it about your approach that, that makes it so yeah. successful? So- uh, the English manga was different because it was franchisees who were, had already run successful businesses and it was kind of like, what what have you got to show me that I don't already know? Mm-hmm. What have you got to offer me? Um, so it was trying to add value to their business based on what I know about how to run a store. But um, coming to America, it was immediately, how do I get more sales? I'm very sales driven because, you know, especially now in the current climate, costs are going up, yeah. food going up, labor going up. We want to pay our team more. The only way that you can continue to be successful is you've got to keep raising your sales. Yeah. That's like the, the secret to being successful long term. So that's always been in my DNA. But that was implanted in me right in the early days in my brother's business. You know, he was super high volume back in the day, even then, like Kabulcha store that he bought as a franchisee was the highest pie count store for years that we used to go to America to pick up the award for that store. You know, people were like amazed at how many pizzas we would do. You know, like we held the record for a thousand pizzas in an hour. Um, wow. You know, how many ovens How many five. ovens did that take? Well, we had um, Blodgett ovens and the, the, the ovens were a triple stack, but they were basically six ovens. So triple okay. stacked, but two ovens end to end, but the conveyor belt runs at the same speed as one oven. Okay. So okay. that's kind of, you know, we were doing snake loading back then in the early 2000s because we were doing those kind of volumes and high pie counts. You know, 100 pie half hour was just normal. Normal. Which yeah. I don't even think we do that now in a lot of our stores on the kind of AWIS that we do because our right. ticket average is so much different now. Yeah. Um, but volume has always been in my DNA since day one. You know, my brother drove sales very, very hard. We were always breaking records. We wanted to hold the most pizzas in a day, the most pizzas in an hour, the most pizzas in half hour. You know, like we've got, I've got stuff on my wall in my office now from Brian Trier, you know, mm-hmm. 20 I've, years ago. I've interviewed Brian. I met Brian. <laughs> yeah, Brian was our international consultant. Um, fun fact, I was the first person to get a five-star international and Brian Trier was the OER guy back then and he still tells me today he didn't want to give me that five-star and he said <laughs> he was very tough on me on purpose. Yep. Gotta be <laughs> but right. But I got it. He had no choice but to give it to me because that still was rocking that day. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, Brian's a great guy. I, I loved my interview with him. Very, very intelligent, very helpful, very just like very knowledgeable of, of the business. Yeah. And He and, went to the UK after I did. Oh, like did when he? I left, he ended up going, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, he says he, he, he misses his family a lot. He's on the road a lot and stuff. So, And, and yeah. you kind of talked about how important that was, you know, just from the move from Australia to the UK. And I'm sure from UK to America, like having the support of your family is probably the biggest yeah. thing. If, if you don't have that, if, if they're not on board, it makes it a lot harder on you. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, well, my youngest, who's um, just turned eight, we moved here when she was seven months old. So, but she was born in England. She's an Australian citizen, but she's growing up in America and sounds extremely Southern. <laughs> <laughs> um, so 
obviously you've been very successful and, and there's reasons for that. And one of those reasons I'm sure is, is you're an amazing leader. And, you know, the main thing with this podcast is I, I want to, you know, bring some of that leadership experience to their ears. And so I wanted to ask you, like, what does leadership mean to you? Like, what is your definition of leadership? And then what's the impact of having good leadership in your culture? And what's the impact of having bad leadership in your culture? Culture. Right. Um, I think leadership more than ever has become really important in the last three years since COVID's been around. Yeah. I think there's been a really clear differentiator for companies that were leading their teams and companies that weren't, and they almost, you know, pretty much disappeared yeah. overnight. No one knew what COVID was going to do. And, you know, we, I've dealt with a lot of natural disasters growing up in Australia, um, cyclones and all that kind of stuff. We have hurricanes here in the south. And we kind of looked at it when it first started like it was a hurricane. We're like, the most important thing, because no one wants to come to work right now, is to communicate with our team, keep our team safe, and give them direction. Because we, no one knew what was going to happen. We thought it was going to be over and done within six months. Right? Yeah, and then everything changed and every week. Like, it was worse and like, worse. But priority A was how do we get people to want to come to work? And so yeah. right out of the gate, we gave them a reason to come to work and we started sharing our sales with all of our team members and they got it based on how many hours they were contributing as a percentage of the total hours. So if you were someone that decided to come in and work more, you earned more. And immediately our sales went up, you know, at times when people were all staying home and everyone was loving that they didn't have to go to work right. and spend time with family and they're all hearing all those messages. We were doing live videos to them and talking to them about getting a share in the sales of their store. Um, and then we started to see this was going to be a little bit longer term. So instead of just kind of band-aiding it and dealing with the issues that were happening on the day, we sat down and we said, not what do we, how do we handle COVID? How do we have a plan to make family ventures amazing in the next five years? What do we want our team to look like five years from now? And what are the things that we need to make sure that we don't compromise on and we absolutely do every single day right now to make our team feel valued? And so we keep our team strong because whenever disasters happen and, you know, COVID has been a disaster almost, right? Mm -hmm. Like a natural disaster kind yeah, of yeah. scenario. Um, when you go through things like that, that's when customers and team members judge you the hardest. They could have loved you for 10 years, but the day that you make them feel unsafe or unwanted will be the day they'll turn on you and they'll never come back. Yep. So our actions, I think, during COVID – did one or the other. And I think that that's when our team members started to respect us more. They already liked us, but they started to love us because of the things we were putting in place. We cared about what was happening to them and we were on the pulse every single day and getting ahead of it before things happened. Yeah, yeah. You know, like a classic example is, um, you know, if you have a team-driven culture, when all the gas prices went up, as a franchisee, I need to make money, right? And if I start paying more mileage, I make less money. And if I wait and wait and wait till the last possible moment and hang on, I'm going to lose drivers. I'm going to lose the respect of my drivers. They think we don't care. They get upset. Managers start to deal with upset drivers. Well, instead, we have a strategy that as soon as something hits the media and starts to become a big story and everybody's talking about it, you have to attack it head on with your team. So we had an emergency meeting the minute that started to become a mm -hmm. thing, before the prices even went up crazy. Um, and we said, you know, what's Modus telling us right now about um, prices? And we went above that. 
Okay. And we immediately met with our team the next day on a phone call. And then the very next day, we launched it in Pulse. On a Friday night, our drivers immediately got paid more. Before we needed it. to do it. Yeah. Before everybody else was like, what do we do? What do we do? We always get ahead of it. We pay people that money before they realize that they need it so that the managers don't have to deal with all that frustration and stress and they don't need to lose any drivers, not one, right, <laughs> right now, right. especially right now. Right. I don't want to give anyone a reason to not want to work for me. And yes, that's a cost, but you know what? So is not having a driver and not being open. That's a worse cost, worse cost. and the stress you have on your GM and then you lose your GMs. So our strategy through the whole thing has been What's our five-year plan? And that has kept us ahead of the game the whole way through. And also, we have a plan. Most people haven't had a plan. Mm -hmm. And when you have a plan and a strategy and your team can see that you're trying to make everything better, they become more loyal to you. Right. And that's the biggest thing that's happened out of COVID and all the free money that's been handed out is people don't want to come to work. So if people are coming to work, they're already someone that's better than everybody else because they're choosing to come to work for you so it's not just about the money you've got to be competitive but it's about the experience that you bring them it's the training that you invest in them they want to know there's a career path in the company they want to know what they're going to do to get there they want recognition so we've dialed up the pins the training classes yeah the cool stuff you get every time you come to a meeting um i mean i have my admin lady pretty much works full-time on making cool stuff family venture right, stuff right you know, like we've kind of created our own brand now that we just look and feel different people look at something of mine they know it's come from my company because it's got the weird kangaroos on there and, right you know, and it, like, bu- it builds up excitement right like and people people like that like making work fun like pizza making a pizza that's not very fun right but you what? It, yes it is no I'm, no making a hundred pizzas is not fun the rush of getting through a hundred pizzas, that feeling afterward when you succeed, that's the fun, right? Like doing it as a team, working together. You know, and, and like, I've always, I even had a meeting uh, this past Monday. Um, I asked all my GMs to come with a plan on how they can make the store fun to come to, like the, the, yes. the job fun to come to. And, but I also wanted it to incorporate, you know, something to do with work. So no, we're not just buying, you know, cupcakes for everybody on a day because that, that that one day, yeah, they're going to enjoy that. Right. But they're not getting any better. They have, they're having fun, but I want them to also get better. So their job isn't as hard on them as it is right now. And so we, I mean, we brainstormed and we came up with a bunch of great different ideas. You know, I gave them some of my ideas, like the Domino's Olympics and stuff. And one thing about Domino's that I personally loved and and sounds like that you really enjoyed is that like the environment, the culture has always been fun. You know, I enjoyed working for Domino's because of the people that were there and listening to music, the conversations, like Yes. The things we're into, you don't get that in a nine to five cubicle job. You don't get that no. working for UPS when you're in a truck by yourself. And no. and th- like that like, morphed into like when I became a GM, like these are my, my people I care so much about. And when I see somebody hurting, like, like I want to be there to try to help them, you know, and, yes. and that is a skill that gets lost in the world of COVID, right? Because, yeah. you know, a lot of GMs... Well, everything just started sucking all of a sudden, yeah. didn't it? Like, no leadership, 
from a political point of view, like the worst leadership ever seen in the history of man. Um, the media just like bombarding us with constant, oh, there's another COVID uh, strain. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Rubbish, right? And I got to the point where I was like, I just don't want to watch social media. I don't want to watch the news. And I know our team felt the same way. And, you know, I live in another country. I haven't been able to see my family in years because of um, quarantine and all that sort of rubbish as well. And so people were feeling genuine depression, the highest amount of depression ever known because of feeling constrained, not having the normal life, not being able to interact. And as humans, we need to interact with other people. We're sociable beings. And so we started to say to our team, you know what? Just leave all the other rubbish outside. When you walk in our doors at Family Ventures, we got you. Just come in, have fun, work with your family. Like we, we have a very strong family-driven culture. Mm-hmm. Our team are our family, and that's our highest priority. We put people before profit. That is our overriding principle on everything. You take care of your decision. people, they'll take care of your profit, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> we said, when you come in the doors, we got you. Come have fun, make some pizzas, let all the other stress of the world go away. You know, we're your second family. You might even like us more than your own family. <laughs> you know, like you spend a lot of time with us. Yep. Um, and that's it. Um, but be step up and be a leader. So for me as a franchisee, I how I show leadership is I have to provide a plan forward, even though I'm not certain about everything that's happening, but you've got to have some kind of a plan. So that gives your team um, confidence that there is a plan, right? And then all your supervisors who are feeling all the complaints and the pain at the coalface and your GMs, you know, they had a lot of stress and they were bringing a lot of issues to us. And the constant thing that I kept trying to focus them on was we can't control what the government is doing. We can't control what's being forced on us. We can only control our space. And you don't underestimate the power you have as, as a person to change the impact on a team member's life, to change the impact on a customer's life. And we spent weeks and weeks and weeks just talking about being kind. Like I rewrote my whole customer class to just be about just be kind because people are dealing with a lot of rubbish right now, including our team. And so when you actually show some kind of kindness to somebody right now, it really stands out. Right. And it also makes your day better. You're making someone else's day better and you're making your day better. And so those kind of messages at a time when people really needed to hear them and, you know, telling people, well done, like, thank you for coming to work when everybody else doesn't want to. Right. Thank you for running a great shift. Thank you for being here when your family's at home. You know, those kind of things, um, you know, we were giving out gift cards and, um, you know, making sure we recognized our team member of the month, our managers of the month. Anyone that was struggling, you know, sending them Amazon gift cards or whatever we needed to do, but finding ways to have fun with the team and almost distract them from all the crappiness that was going on outside of our business. Right. Um, and that's what drove us forward. Um, so that that is the key thing. If you're in a store or you're a supervisor or you're a franchisee, you have to know what your values are as a company so that everybody knows what they're trying to achieve. You have to provide a career path so everybody knows what the progression is going to look like. It's not just because you're related or it's your best friend or whatever. There's a clear career path, and we have that in Family Ventures. What are you going to do to get there? Um, and and go out and just remind people of all the great things every day. Distract them from the bad stuff. Because, you know, if you're having a bad day and you just focus on the bad stuff, you go down this rabbit hole and you just have a really bad day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got yeah. to you got to find a way to think about what are the things that I can control, what's in my power today to run the best shift I can um, or help somebody 
and then that I can feel good about. And you have enough of those great moments, you don't feel helpless. And unfortunately, I think a lot of managers over the last year, I mean, I've seen it on the GM best practices. I've seen it in meetings. The first time I've ever seen dominoids looking like they felt helpless and they didn't know what to do because the staffing levels have got so low. Right. Um, so just focusing on just the small wins one at a time and just making sure that if you're in a position that you can recognize somebody for being great or just for coming to work, do it. Like, do it. Don't make them earn it because they're already at work, which makes them great. You're right. Because there's a lot of people who didn't come to work today. Right. right? There's, there's a lot of GMs that need to hear that, too. Um, right. You know, I think a lot of times they strive to be the best. And, you know, obviously, like operations assessments or old school OERs, that's, that's the way we're graded. And when our service wasn't right, like that was a thing that would trigger us. Like, I'm going to be in a bad mood all week and I'm going to be writing you guys hard all week because our service isn't in, in line. And then nobody wants to come into work that week, right? Because, yeah. you know, it, it, it triggers that bad mood. And, you know, I, I instruct my GMs, like, you know, Praise what you're doing well at or what somebody's doing well at and then work on, not criticize, but work on what you're weak at. And as long as you you get little improvements here and there, then, uh-huh. then, then you're seeing value grow. Because at some point, whether it takes them two days or it takes them two years, they'll figure it out. You know, yeah. as long as you keep giving them that attention. But if you just grind them and tell them, hey – you're doing this wrong or you're late every single day. Like, like, yes, I want my people to be on time. One of my biggest pet peeves, but there's a way to teach somebody how to be on time. That's going to change their habit. And there's also a way to get on them and tell them they're going to be late. And then they're just going to start looking for another job. Right. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, in, in my own definition of leadership, the good ones are the ones that can take that weak problem and and transform it into somebody's strength or at least get the improvement that you know we are wanting to see so they're more valuable to to the team you've got to see the vision for where you want to be because sometimes you're so far from it and i've been the person in the store you know my first store i bought as a franchisee was doing four thousand dollars a week and i had no people right I didn't even have anyone who could answer a phone. And back then, all our orders came through phones. And so I hired my first team member, and I was outdoor hanging all day. And then I was answering every phone that night. And I had my first team meeting, and one person showed up. I was all ready for this amazing meeting for my 10 team members, and one person showed up. Now, I could have cried in my sleep and gone, oh, well, and threw my hands up in the air and done no meeting. But we did a damn war cry, the two of us, and... We worked on a plan because, you know, he took the time to turn up. So let's have a meeting. And so I created a brand ambassador alongside me and we became the A-team. And then someone else started to want to be a part of that. And then someone else wanted to be a part of that. And then eventually it got to a point where if you didn't turn up to the meeting, you're like the loser. Right, right. right. They're they're doing all the accountability. We to make you feel bad and we wouldn't tell you what happened at the meeting because you know what? You should have been at the Should have been there. They became so fun that everyone was like, oh, we can't miss it. But you've got to start somewhere. And a lot of managers are in that position right now where they're just dealing with such a skeleton crew and it's so hard to get up every day and be motivated by that. But just infect one person at a time with positive attitude and I promise you, you'll eventually grow your team, even in the current environment, because we're doing it. 
it spreads like wildfire, right? It breeds people that want culture. People want to work for great people. Yeah, yeah. And and yeah. I teach that to my guys all the time. Like right now, if if you're in a store and you're short-staffed and you're having to hire a bunch of people and you have to train a bunch of people because that's, that's a big stressor. Like I hire somebody and now I got to put all this time in, into training them. But when you get that, that formula of, of a good culture in your store, like when you have those experienced people and you put in the work now to get them trained up to where they need to be, then when you hire new people, guess what happens? You don't have to spend all the time into them because your yeah. staff will teach them the things they need. They'll That's hold right, them yeah. accountable. And, and yeah. then it becomes kind of like this well-oiled machine. So when you come in, you, you are able to go in and have that po- positive mindset, have that fun at work, like talk to your people, figure out what's bothering them instead of trying to figure out what's bothering you and what you got to fix and what plan you're going to make and, and all of yeah. that. And, and I, I constantly preach to them, just put in the work now. Like if you have two months, give yourself two months to get these things fixed to make your job easier. Because after the two months, things will start falling into place yeah. as long as just you keep, keep having a plan and yeah. making little changes every day. Because, you know, hope is not a strategy and never will be. If you wake up today and you got no one and you don't change anything, you wake up tomorrow and you have no one, the next day you'll have less people. You know? Right. <laughs> you got to have a plan to change something right. to move it forward. Right, right. <laughs> All right, that was part one of the interview with Carrie Heyman. Thank you again, Carrie, for meeting with me. I can't wait for them to listen to part two. Um, I hope you all enjoyed uh, part one, and please come back for part two next week. Um, So, yeah, please uh, send me your feedback. I would love to hear from you. I have received some great uh, compliments and some great ideas um, and some some help even out there. So please uh, keep emailing me. You can email me at 40peppodcast at dpzwest.com. That's the number 40pep podcast at dpzwest.com. That's it for me this week, guys. I will talk to you again next week where we will have part two with the interview with Carrie. And I hope you have a fantastic time. Uh, Only a couple weeks left till the rally. Talk to you later. Be great out there, guys.